You are listening to the JTMR podcast. Visit our website at www.jesustomyrescue.com for free sermons, articles, ebooks, Bible study tools, Bible quizzes, and lots more. We share the gospel of Jesus to the world. Hello and welcome to the program which looks at the Holy Land. I am Paul Calvert. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 from the New King James Bible says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I'm with Barry Sigal from Vision for Israel. Now Barry, what is Vision for Israel? Well, Vision for Israel was established in 1994 as a result of really kind of a vision I had in reading in Proverbs where it says, without a vision, the people perish. And so, you know, kind of mold that in my heart, meditated upon it in light of God's word. And then uh, finally, my wife and I just decided to co-found our organization, our nonprofit charitable organization known as Vision for Israel, and established it in 1994, both first of all in Israel, where we live, and then also in the United States. Within a few years after that, we had already established it as a nonprofit in uh, Germany and Switzerland and in um, the United Kingdom and, uh, and eventually in the Netherlands. So even though our focus and our attention is mostly geared towards what's happening in Israel and the Middle East, there are occasional situations where we go beyond our borders to help and uh, to do you know, good works for God's kingdom in places like Turkey after the earthquake or way back after the tsunami. In um, We were helping out in Sri Lanka and several other disasters like the earthquake that hit very hard in Haiti several years ago. So even though our major focus is humanitarian aid relief in Israel and in the Middle East, we're still just open to however the Lord God leads. Mm. Now, on October the 7th, there was a terror attack in Israel. What were your thoughts as you heard the news? Well, actually, it's my wife, Bantia, that first heard the news early in the morning because she gets up early in the morning. And me being a former musician in a band, even though we both love music and sing, I get up a bit later and on the Shabbat especially. But it was also Simchat Torah, you know, the day that you you have the joy of the Lord in your hearts because of the law that he's given to us as a people, and of course, at the it's the culmination of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Sukkot. So, you know, you just kind of thought it's going to be a quiet holiday day, a special Shabbat with the family. But she was already picking up on the news that there were several rocket attacks occurring. And so then I went to take a shower, and all of a sudden, with shampoo in my hair, I, I hear the sirens outside sounding where we live on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and my wife and daughter yelling to get out and to come into the shelter, you know, the sealed room shelter within the apartment where we live. And I said, I can't. I've got shampoo in my hair. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, there was a huge blast. And it wasn't like lightning hitting a tree and crackling. This was like such a shaking, such a blast. Well, only about a half hour later when we went outside and heard the sirens, we realized that about 125 meters away from our house, which is, you know, about 400 feet, a rocket had hit and struck our neighborhood street just shy of about 40 feet of a children's park. And so 
we don't know that anybody was wounded or hurt. It didn't hit one of the buildings and um, we didn't see anybody put into the ambulances, but it was certainly a shock as I was in the shower. It just shook everything. And the blast is just like something unique, audibly speaking. Wow. Now you've been to Kibbutz Biri. What did you see there? Well, in the aftermath of the massacre that took place at Kibbutz Berry, this was already after, I would say, most, if not all, the bodies of both the victims of the terror attacks, the brutal terror attacks, as well as terrorists that were finally confronted and taken down by the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. But when we entered the properties, we thought maybe it was just that segment of Kibbutz Berry, and it was already disastrous. And we walked into one place that had just blood everywhere, all over the floor and everywhere, and bullet holes in the ceilings and and everything ransacked. And then next door to this first place we went into, the whole place was charred. It was in ruins. It was burnt. And then we realized after we spent about an hour there, when we went to other parts of the kibbutz, the same thing had been repeated in different sections of the kibbutz. So we know about 130 people were murdered. 30 of them were babies. They even put live babies into the oven and cooked some of them. Others they decapitated. It's just the most demonically inspired attack I've ever seen. And I can't compare, you know, what the Nazis did back in World War II, which was brutal and, and despicable and very satanic. But I would say this exceeded the type of brutality, the type of non-respect for any human life in any form, in any way. And while we were there, of course, we met one of the survivors who he was rummaging through the rubble of his mother's house uh, where he had grown up. He was already a grown man and he found his ranch. And But he said, all my life's work, which had to do with automobiles, is just destroyed all my collection, everything. And he said, I'm looking for my mother's purse because her money was in there. And we helped a little bit and walked around and he shared with us the story. And I was very curious the whole time with my younger daughter what about his mother? What about his mother? And only at the end, he said, my mother miraculously survived because she went into the sealed room and only months before had put a, an extra security lock on the inside, which is very unusual for any of us to do because you're putting it on because of a rocket now, mm. uh, or a chemical warfare. You're not putting it on because you think a terrorist is going to break in. And she was able to lock herself in. I believe she fainted. So they just thought nobody was in there. And when she came to, she eventually dove out the back window. There's like a kind of a metal door that you can open. And uh, she went out that way to safety. But it took the IDF nearly two days to overtake the kibbutz. And that was just one of about 25 places. Wow. So you're saying babies were decapitated and babies yeah. were actually, were they cooked live in the oven? Yes. Wow. Wow. How did it make you feel seeing all of this? Well, I don't know if words can explain it. I think almost despondent, almost like surreal from a horror movie and despondent and desperate. And even though, you know, I'm a faith-based believer and I believe firmly in God's word and 
and have hope for, you know, the future and now and eternally, I, I just almost felt like words couldn't formulate in my mouth anything to really say that makes sense of the whole situation. And, and what about the survivors? How do you comfort them, let alone the relatives of some of these people? And, um, you know, the, it's a military zone now. Mm. It's a set up as an army base until, you know, the whole southern border and all its communities are safe and sound, but that could take some months. And the other side of it is, is that knowing that it was just one kibbutz out of many, and, you know, we are hearing, you know, how over 50 people were murdered in Itivot, which is a much bigger area, town, not a kibbutz, but an actual town. And then the 260 young adults and adults that attended this kind of a new age dance and music festival that were slaughtered, I mean, in the fields of Israel. And so what do you say? How do you bring light into a situation like that? And I think we tried to capture as much as we could on video and uh, to understand what what is our mission? What can we do and how are we going to respond? And believe me, we will be responding for the families and not just there, but several thousands of others. Now, I understand in the past you'd actually donated a mobile shelter to that community. We actually donated two mobile bomb shelters. When we say mobile, only simply because they were dropped in with a big crane, but they weigh 30 tons apiece. Mm. And they're solid concrete and rebar. And, you know, they have a kind of a, a ramp for anybody who's physically handicapped to be able to get in with a wheelchair or walker. But what was so interesting is that somebody found our sign on one of the bomb shelters burnt, slightly charred and burnt and ripped off on the street. And um, I, I would like to get that and frame it someday just as a reminder, never again. You know, that's our famous quotation from Jewish history, just never again, whether it's Masada or it's the Holocaust, we, we shouldn't allow these things to happen. And um not just for our sakes, you know, I think it's important for hearers to understand that even about 20 Bedouin Arabs who are Israeli Arabs that live in the Negev, they were also brutally killed and many of them taken hostage. So there are Arabs that were killed and murdered by Hamas Arab Muslims themselves, and they they didn't make any difference. You know, terrorism makes no diff doesn't distinguish any difference between a Jew or an Arab or a Westerner or Easterner or from wherever anybody is from. As we know, many foreigners were also killed, especially students and agricultural workers from Thailand in the south of Israel. Mm. And how has Vision for Israel responded to this ongoing war with Hamas? Well, obviously, we're not in the military anymore. I served in the Israeli military a long time ago. But, you know, I have my son is in there. He's been in since the second day of the war, and he has his job and position to do. But as far as what Vision for Israel's mandate, what our calling is, is to do as much as we can to alleviate the suffering and to provide for those who are in great need, bona fide need now. So here are just a few things we've done. We've already packaged a thousand big food parcels for families. We've distributed about 700 out of the thousand so far to different communities because we wanted to be sure to get into the right hands, the right families or single family households. We've also been providing hygienic products, you know, for the soldiers in the field 
that left with almost nothing as well as some mattresses uh, in places where they could lay their head down at night. We're also providing towels and blankets. All this is new, I'm referring to. Provided clothing to many of the families who were housed and are now displaced persons or refugees from this conflict throughout different hotels or different other communities in Israel. We had a lot of new clothes that had been donated through the years as well as like new. And then, of course, we donated, we purchased another ambulance, which is our sixth ambulance, actually our seventh, but the sixth one to go into service, the other one's on order. And that immediately was brought in by cargo jet. And it's already been in service since October 30th already. And we have other ambulances already, both medical intensive care ambulances, which are yellow in color, as well as the white ones. Uh, We have a blood mobile out there for collecting blood. And then, of course, we're doing all we can to provide protective vests and helmets, particularly for the medical first responders and paramedics and ambulance crews, because they're the ones, many of them were murdered on the first onslaught of terror that went down to help rescue and treat the wounded. Many of those ambulance paramedics and drivers themselves were killed. And uh, so they need protective gear. Uh, The army is working as fast as it can to provide for the military. We're working as fast as we can to provide both for civilian security and the medical first responders, which we work very closely with. And then, of course, we just put in an order for another 45 bomb shelters, safety shelters to be placed along the northern and southern borders, but particularly in the north. And we've already done 155 so far since the summer of 2021. And so they literally save lives. We want to continue to save lives. You know, as an organization, our drive and goal is not only for the physical restoration of Israel, but the spiritual restoration as well. And whatever we can do, whether it's medical equipment or having special days with the Holocaust survivors or events with the victims of terror and rocket attacks or simply going in to provide a workman to paint, repaint somebody's apartment or purchase an appliance, a refrigerator, an oven or something or a microwave that's gone out or was destroyed by the terrorists. We're here to help. We're here to serve the population of Israel, both Jewish and Arab alike. Have you been delivering things under the rocket fire? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have. And it's kind of interesting because we ourselves, other than myself, the rest of our team didn't have their own protective vests and helmets, but just were committed to the work and were brave enough. We know what the rules are when there's a siren, you know, to get down with our head, cover it and get down on the ground face down. But now, thank God, uh, this past week, we just got enough protective vests, and I'm going to pick up helmets in order to protect our own staff, because we're only as good as we're protected as well. And, you know, I've been there when rockets were being shot, and some landing between 500 and 1,000 feet. It's not the first time, so I'm a little bit more used to it from previous battles with Hamas. But, you know, if you've grown up with it your whole life, you're almost for sure suffering from some form of PTSD symptoms, as many of the young people we met who were helping to unload our vehicles with food parcels, they volunteered in their community centers to unload and get the food out. 
I interviewed some of them and asked them, how's it been? Where did, have you lived? And some of them from cities like Ashkelon and Ashdod told me that ever since they've been born, since the day they grew up and lived in those cities, they've been going to bomb shelters every so many, every year or two, or maybe during that year, several times. And so it's become a cultural way of life and upbringing is just so strange to imagine with over 25,000 rockets having been shot towards Israel by Islamic jihadists is just abysmal. It's very hard to grasp. And I think that's the problem is the Western mind struggles to understand how a person is committed to the destruction of Israel without any remorse whatsoever. And that's their only aim. They may not have even ever met a Jewish person their whole life, mm. but a child in Gaza may have that's maybe the only thing he knows, the way he was brought up. Mm -hmm. So you just look at the difference between the children growing up on both sides, and it's um, a challenge. We live in a, a day that uh, obviously is a fulfillment of prophecies towards the end time, but of course, as it begins to happen, it's a much different scenario and situation, and certainly uh, touches all of our emotions and our hearts and what we can do in the midst of uh, destruction and challenges such as these and bring hope to the people. As you've been providing for the people, have they been sharing their stories? Oh, yes. Quite a few of them have. Some a little bit more protective and others much more very open. So, you know, in a lot of cases, people have left their homes, like in the city of Steyrot, out of about a population of nearly 30,000 I would say 25,000 had left. But as the army began to go in, and although not having succeeded yet in quieting the rocket attacks, the confidence that the population has in the military to hold the enemy back and to keep them from crossing the border has given a lot of people confidence to return to their homes. So I don't have a recent statistic in the last three days but I would venture to say if 25,000 people had left out of 30, leaving 5,000, maybe another couple thousand have come back. Mm. The more that the military succeeds in their mission to wipe out Hamas, the more confident the population in the south will be. Although in the case of Kibbutz Be'eri and other kibbutzim, they won't have any homes to come to. Several hundred of these people will have to rebuild and that will take not only months, I believe, years. Mm. It must be very difficult when the rocket siren sounds for the disabled and for the elderly. Oh, yeah. It's, I remember, I don't know, maybe six months ago, eight months ago, there was a rocket attack and a rocket hit a city called Rehovot. And uh, the sirens had sounded. And I believe the couple, the elderly couple, he and she were both Holocaust survivors. And she just couldn't help her husband. And she somehow made it to the sheltered room, but he was killed by the rocket attack. Mm. So it's very difficult because they don't have, in many cases, they don't have live-in helpers. You know, they may have helpers that come, you know, and usually foreigners from places like the Philippines or India to assist them. But that might be more like a job, not that they're necessarily living right there on the premises. So... It's very hard. And then, of course, the reminders that Holocaust survivors have for being Jewish, that they went to concentration camps. Now we're seeing 
you know, people that want to destroy us. And it's probably bringing back a lot of memories, mm. very tragic memories. Yeah. This must be a very busy time for you. But the time is now. Is this like you were born for such a time as this? I think you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I, mm. Exactly. You know, we feel like the last, you know, ever since 1994, so nearly 30 years, we feel like we've been training for exactly times like this. And, you know, I've said through the years, when crisis comes, it's too late to prepare. When crisis comes, it's too late to prepare. And Israel was caught not prepared. And we were caught somewhat prepared. And so because we understood the direction of scripture towards the end times, that anything at any time could break out anywhere in the world, but still affect us here in Israel in the Middle East. In this case, though, it was right at our doorstep. And so I do believe, you know, just like in the book of Esther, for such a time as this, we were prepared, we were trained. And, you know, sometimes we feel inadequate. We can only do as much as our partners and donors, both in finances, but also in prayer. We can only go as far as that fuel will take us. And so we're thankful to the Lord that where God guides, he provides. And so far, it's working out. But I always feel the sense, um, if you remember Schindler's List towards the end of the movie, uh, Schindler said as he was leaving before the Russians rolled in, because he, he knew that he would be taken and probably murdered by the Russian advanced army because he himself associated with the Nazi party in order to actually help the Jewish people escape and put them to work. But he said one line, and I don't know if it was true in history or if it was just in the movie, but the, it never escaped my attention. He said, if I had only something like, if I had only just sold my gold watch, I could have saved another eight people. Or if I had sold my car, I could have saved a number of families you know, and I, I, that's how I feel. I feel like, God, I want to do so much more. We want to do as much as we can do, as fast as we can do it, as effectively as we can do it, as kingdom-like as we can do it, as being an expression of God's compassion and love for Israel and its people. Uh, Lord, help us, you know, and, and I feel like no matter what we do, it's not enough. Come on, what can we do more? How do we get it out faster? So that's the situation we're in exactly right now. And, um, you know, we pray every day, you know, I nearly pray every day, Lord, help me to be at the right place and at the right time in all things. And uh, that's my prayer. Mm. Are Jews seeing Christians spring into action at this time? Yes, I've seen, you know, Christians from all over the world are writing, they're saying they're praying, they're sending donations, not just to us, obviously, but to many, many, many organizations that are faith-based or are even secular and just coming alongside of them to partner with Israel at such a time as this. And I'm sure that this need will go on for not only days, but weeks and months and years ahead. And, you know, we'll also have to be reaching out to the Arab community that's been affected and see, see where we're at, mm. what we can do and how God can use us. But I think very much reminds us in the days of Nehemiah, they had a weapon by their side, but they still were constructing and building the walls and repairing the walls of Jerusalem. And my my sense is that what's spoken in Genesis 
12.3, I will bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse thee. It's very important that the people of God, that the Christian church out there globally, make sure that they're on the right side of God, that they're on God's side, and do not find themselves deceived by global media or misreporting or fake news, but that they actually can discern together with God's word and seeing what's happening around us. What is our place? What is our position? How can I be used? And and making a clear-cut decision, I will do something. I will be proactive. Mm. What is your prayer for Israel at this time? Oh, well, I don't think there's any better prayer than in Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. So I think as it goes for Israel, so it goes for the church. I think if we can pray for the exposure of the murderous jihadist terrorist to be removed from the scene and yet a flood of God's love encompass the people that are suffering throughout Israel and the Middle East and that there'll just be great revelations and dreams and and supernatural encounters that people will come to know Jesus, who we say Yeshua in Hebrew or Yeshua in Arabic. If we can see the mighty hand of God pour out his spirit in this situation, I think that's how we should be praying, not only for the protection of our armed forces in Israel, and not only for those that are suffering as a result of war, but to pray that there'll be an outpouring like we've never seen before in the nation of Israel for the good news of his kingdom. You're doing a great work in Israel. What is your website for people who'd like to give, probably help in some way? Yeah, our website is visionforisrael, I-S-R-A-E-L.com, visionforisrael.com. And we also have a couple YouTube channels just to view some of the work we're doing. One is called Vision for Israel, and the other is called VFI News, like victory, V, but vision. FI, Vision for Israel, VFI News. And then for anybody that just wants to sit back and enjoy praising and worshiping the Lord in Hebrew, we have a website, Barry and Batia Siegel.com, as well as a channel on YouTube, Barry and Batia Siegel. And the words are there for people to sing with. So I think, you know, that's something else I just mentioned in this interview is to say that even in the Psalms, towards the end of the Psalms, it says, that we can bind their kings with fetters of iron and as we praise the Lord and proclaim him. And uh, just a week ago, we were standing over the fields where the slaughter took place of at least 260 young people and many others were kidnapped. And we just lifted our hands up across those fields that were bloodstained and revoked any curse that had been brought upon our nation or that we ourselves were responsible as a people for inviting upon our nation. And we just praised the Lord and we proclaimed, facing with our arms out towards the Gaza Strip, Lord, we bind these principalities and powers and we pray for the release of the Arabs of the Gaza Strip from their dictatorial, demonized leadership in Hamas. And we're so we're praying also for them. And, and hopefully we'll see the fruit of these prayers as well as the outpouring of God's spirit here upon the Jewish people and Arab people of Israel. Mm. Well, Barry, thank you very much for sharing what you're doing in Israel. You are very welcome. And thank you for uh, having me on. And just want to encourage people that 
there is still hope and there's hope for each and every one of us as well as all those that are listening. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Pray that God will move by his mighty power in the Holy Land and bring his peace. Thank you for listening to this JTMR podcast brought to you by Jesus to My Rescue Ministries and Outreach. Visit our website at www.jesustomyrescue.com for more great content that will help you grow in your relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you need prayer, send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven double six four six eight three six three five. Alternatively, send us an email to support at jesustomyrescue.com. You can also find us on most social media accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, TikTok and many others. Just search for Jesus to My Rescue. God bless you. Bye-bye.